This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. It March Madness, you know, Badgers are out. First week of free agency is over. I'm kind of like, all right, now what? Like, what? <laughs> all my juice, all my juice is gone. So maybe I explode. I like got it all out last week, and now so I, I'm trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my March. You know, I know I live in Vegas, but uh, but uh, yeah, now that Wisconsin's out, it's kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> I spent most of this weekend trying to enjoy the weather a little bit in Chicago. There's a lot of walking around, a lot of sitting on rooftops, and just seeing friends that I haven't in a while. That was very nice. It's a good time of year. It's an exciting it time of the year. The sun is out. It's been gorgeous here over the last few days, so I'm in a great mood. And free agency has died down a little bit to the point that I think this is a good time to have a bigger picture discussion because we'll get to this a little bit later, but I think that free agency is, we often overreact to the individual signings, right? We'll shit can something or we'll celebrate something in the moment and eventually it just becomes totally wrong on either end of that spectrum. And I think that's why I always like to have a little bit of take a little bit of a cautious approach with these conversations. But I do think, and I've said this before, I do think free agency is a way for us to understand a team's thinking and for us to gain insights on them. I think teams are trying to tell you what they are and tell you what their plan is this time of year. So what I wanted to do here about a week after the start of free agency is decipher some of the messages that teams have sent us. I want to hone in on four or five of them and say, all right, What's the plan? What is this team trying to tell us? Are we going to listen? So we're going to get to those in a little bit here, but I want to start with a few little bits of news that didn't really fit into those larger conversations. First of all, the Rams signed to Sean Jackson this week. We have not seen the details on that contract. Makes perfect sense to me. When you were thinking about the needs this team had, you and I have talked about this, pretty homogenous at receiver. I mean, even bringing in Van Jefferson to go along with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, it's like, where's the speed? Give me the speed. And with Matthew Stafford there now, it becomes even more important. And going out and getting a guy like Deshaun, where I'm assuming it's a one-year deal, low risk. Also, speed doesn't age. I think Matt Bowen told me that. It's like fast stays fast. So if that's what you're looking for, you can go get a 34-year-old Deshaun Jackson and not necessarily have to bet on him. So I just thought that was a fun one. I don't know if you have much to say about it, but I think it totally aligns with what they needed. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. Classic fit matching familiarity scheme need i mean just everything you know mcveigh has experience with deshaun jackson so that's an easy transition that's right yeah in washington yeah so it, it's it makes all the sense in the world so we, we we've harped on it for the like since we started this podcast is how much the rams need some more explosiveness to their offense well let's get one of the greatest deep threats that's ever played the game <laughs> um hopefully you know he's older he has to stay healthy of course but that's actually where the van jefferson actually made more sense to me because i was like okay they spent a second round or early third on him last year and it was the know, second ha- round pick it was the second it was a late second right okay thought so it makes more sense now because now Deshaun doesn't have to play every snap. He's truly a designated hitter that you throw yep. in there. So now Van Jefferson could take more of a chunk of the plays. They like to be an 11 personnel, I mean, exclusively. So you need depth at receiver if you're going to have three Especially now that Everett's field. not there anymore. So you lose a, re- a tight end and now you slot into Sean Jackson. That is exactly right. It makes, like you said, free agency moves make a lot more sense in what they're viewing, how they view themselves, the self-awareness of themselves. They let Everett walk. 
Okay, and that makes sense. They probably want to stay in 11 with Higby because they have a tight end already, but we need more depth at receiver. I think it just makes it's just a perfect sense in the world where Van Jefferson can almost be a super backup where he backs up all three spots. That X spot in that offense, the other two roles, the, the Cup and Woods roles, have to be almost interchangeable with what they have to do. But that mm-hmm. other role, the Brandon Cooks role as we know it, that's verticality, true X spot. So he doesn't have to do all the other little kind of you know, interchangeable stuff to other guys do. I think they'll train Van Jefferson for that. So it just, it makes a lot of sense. I I like the signing. Like you said, I just want to see what the numbers are, but I I really like it. And then now we do go one step further. The guy he's replacing in that offense nominally, Josh Reynolds signs a one-year deal with the Titans where he replaces Corey Davis. The Titans offense stems from their time with Matt LaFleur, who was the office coordinator of the Rams. So Josh Reynolds is fluent in this system. He now comes in and plays the other outside spot, opposite aj brown in that offense it's all this musical chairs but it makes sense like when you see all the moves start to happen the waterfall it absolutely makes sense and it tracks when you think about what these teams need what they don't so one other bigger name receiving move that i wanted to talk about is the steelers re-signing juju smith schuster to a one-year eight million dollar deal first of all not a big market for Juju Smith-Schuster, apparently. He wa- he definitely wanted to put it out there that he took less money to return to the Steelers, <laughs> which that's, everyone always takes less money to return to the team that they came from. It's not that the market didn't materialize in the way they wanted to. So it's a one-year $8 million deal to return to Pittsburgh. I have a question for you. Who does this benefit? Like, do the Steelers really need Juju back, and does he really want to be in that offense to kind of rebuild his value and try to hit free agency again next year. It's a one-year, $8 million deal, which that is not a lot, Mm. with four void years on it. Did the Steelers really need to do that sort of cap accounting to make sure they could fit Juju Smith-Schuster back on the team with a $2.4 million cap hit this year? I just don't understand who benefits in in this situation. I really don't. I didn't either. I I thought that whole offense was going to have a total revamp this offseason, especially what's happened with the offensive line. And... I thought Juju for sure was walking. Claypool ascended, had a nice rookie year. You know, that kind of seemed like a good kind of one-for-one replacement. I know they're not the exact type of player, but that size kind of like that type of But they of have those types of players. They have they Deontay have, Johnson. They have, they have James Deontay Washington. Johnson. They have players there. It, yeah. it was the one spot where it felt like, okay, we have drafted replacements. Yep. He's going to be priced out. And that's yep. just how this works. Apparently not. Nope. That, I mean, that's how, I mean, that's what all the writing on the wall seemed like for the last 12 months was, oh yeah, Juju's gone. He's going to sign some three year, 14 mil a year, blah, blah, blah. He's gone, but obviously not. I, it's kind of funny. A team, it's not surprising at all though, that a team that's only had three head coaches in like 60 years, likes a little continuity <laughs> with their team <laughs> with how they like to do things in Yinzerland over there. But yeah, I don't know, man. Like we were talking pre-show and I was putting my notes together on it. I was just kind of like, all right, they signed Juju. Now what? Like uh, defense, they lost about Dupree. There's going to be obvious regression there. Offensively, Matt Canada will be interesting to watch with him having like kind of full reign. I'm sure him and Big Ben will get into three fist fights a week, but it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> um, I'm telling you, it's going to be amazing. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what the Steelers are doing. I think it's going to be entertaining. I, I just think they maxed out last year and they're kind of running it back with the same group. Yeah, I don't know what the path is. That, that I think that's a better better answer for me. I have no idea what this team is or what yeah. their ambitions are or how they're going to get there or what the plan should be. I think they might be okay. Like I mean, they're yeah. the best defense in the NFL last year, but every single bit of evidence 
points to that defense not being as good this season. I think they finished fourth in weighted DVOA. You saw them start to diminish a little bit at the end of last year. They're going to get some guys back. Obviously, Devin Bush is back. But the depth that sustained them last season, when you had guys like Alex Highsmith kept stepping in, Cam Sutton stepping in, Robert Spillane stepping in when those guys started getting hurt, those guys are no longer the depth. Vince Williams is gone. They've allowed Steven Nelson apparently to explore a trade because they need to save money there so now cam sutton who they resigned is a starter spillane's gonna have to be a starter alex hytham is, is a starter so you're pushing everything up one notch and i just think that that is a recipe for being a little bit disappointed even if they're the eighth best defense in the nfl mm-hmm. this year i have no faith in the offense which has had no investments from outside sources and has a ton of moving pieces along the offensive line to be much better this year. So if the offense can't pick up that slack, and we assume just by virtue of some of the changes that have happened, the defense is going to be worse. Like, is this like a six and ten team that's just yeah. treading water? Like, I just have no idea. You, did you ever see uh, uh, the new Jurassic World movie, the first one that came out a few years ago? But the, I saw it, the like, first it, one. Yes, not yeah, the most the, recent the, one. Yeah, not the most recent one, which is garbage. Don't see it. But uh, the <laughs> Jurassic World at the end in the climax spoilers oh my god there's dinosaurs in it they go uh at the kid and they, the nerdy kid goes we need more teeth and they how they find the more teeth to beat up the bad dinosaurs to get a t-rex where are the Steelers going to find more teeth like that's what i don't get it's like is matt canada going to find five more points for them this offseason like per game because that's really the difference they have to make up if they're run retreading all this with worse offensive line they're hoping some of these young guys stop up. But guess what? Every team in the world hopes some of their young guys step up. Um, so I just don't see. But also, just, the guys aren't that young. Yeah, they, exactly. They have, <laughs> they're like 29 and 32. If Zach Banner is <laughs> going to be their right tackle, like that's fine as a plan. But Zach Banner is yeah. not some young ascending yeah. player. Like yeah. BJ Finney, if year, he ends up taking yeah. over at center, is not like an unknown quantity. BJ yeah. Finney has been around for a while. So I, I do think that there's a healthy amount of risk involved with the way they're approaching this. They need a great draft. We've seen what yes. can happen when teams hit those. If they find a tackle, you know, another corner, all of this stuff in the draft, then maybe it looks great. I still have a lot of doubts about how good Ben Roethlisberger is going to look after what mm-hmm. happened at the end of last season. But it still feels like they need to thread the needle in the draft, and that is much easier said than done. So I just don't really understand exactly what they're trying to accomplish. Maybe they just thought you know what, we're locked into this version of the roster. We'll do a couple tweaks here and there. And after Roethlisberger moves on next year, we have a real discussion about how we want to rebuild this. As soon as he decided he was coming back, it kind of put them in a holding pattern. I would assume that's some of the thinking. But again, I just don't really have a sense for what they are and where they're going. So the Chiefs apparently were in on Juju. And, you know, we've talked about the Chiefs a decent amount over the last week, but you and I haven't really. I'm just wondering, what do you make of the the plan that the Chiefs have brought into this offseason? They go get Joe Tooney. They reportedly were trying to go get Trent Williams. They were in on Rodney Hudson. Peter King reported that one of the reasons that the Raiders traded Hudson was to keep keep him away from the Chiefs. They were talking to Juju Smith-Schuster. Is receiver really what this team needs? What do you make of how they're trying to approach this? Well, they okay. Their hands are they have one arm tied behind their back just because of where where they're at. But I do think they're going about it the right way. Um, they threw a bunch of money at Tooney. They're trying to find at least something to some stability there. It's like they always have these nice pieces, nice things, and I think they're just tired of always going like, 
what guy do we sign off the street this week? <laughs> so what, who do they get? Okay, maybe Tooney might not be the all-world guy, but he's very, very good, and he's never missed a game, and he has versatility. So I think they're just like, okay, let's just get some like just some complacency going and, and something we can rely on up front. The Kyle Long thing, I, I think, is just like when they signed KO last year. They're taking a chance on a guy it's that's very been, similar. Yes. Very similar. And this is the best way to do it. Because if it hits, you're getting a stud that knows that's already a pro. You know, it's like, okay, that's nice. That's nice to have. He's always going to be, you know, know how to prepare himself every week. Um, yeah, he hasn't played a full season since 2015. But if you're going to take a chance on a guy, this is the type you got you you do. And he, you know what's the other thing? Uh, speaking of like the positional flexibility and versatility, is that he can play tackle in a pinch. So it's like, okay, that gives himself – I think they're just tired of like everybody being banged up and them going like, who's starting at tackle this week? So they're just finding guys that can play every position. But it makes sense. Um, I'm actually kind of glad they didn't splurge on a receiver and just save the money they have. I think that's something they can attack in the draft, preferably like with their second-round pick. That's what I think if I were the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes as my quarterback. I get what they're doing. It's just I think they have one hand uh, tied behind their back, but I, I like this. I like what they're doing. This is what they have to do. I think they trust Spags to just – you know, generate some chaos for them. They already know they got Mahomes, but this is the best way they can help themselves out is just shoring up the whole line. I'm curious to see what they do at left tackle. Obviously, there are yeah. some guys on the market still that might be relatively affordable. You know, like Villanueva is a free agent. Russell Okung is a free agent. Do they feel like we can get one of those guys for $8 million bucks a year, mm-hmm. whatever it's going to cost, to have a stopgap starter at that spot? Or... Is that something they try to fill through the draft? So we've talked a lot about the Chiefs. I was just curious about your thoughts. Yeah. So Rodney Hudson, who they were apparently in on, his replacement, one of the reasons that the Raiders apparently thought they could trade him is because they like Andre James, who was a college free agent from a couple of years ago, has never really played for them, has very few snaps on tape. They reportedly signed him to a three-year, $12.5 million extension today with $6 million guaranteed. It could certainly work, but goodness, does that seem like a gamble. We're going to move on from Roddy Hudson, and we're going to pay his replacement starter-level money without ever seeing him play real meaningful action in games. You know, they loved him so much that whenever one of their guards got hurt, they made sure that he saw the field. That's how, you know, that's how much they loved him. It's like, what the, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> um, I, I, it might work. It might work. I mean, shit. Like, my dad moved on from Jeff Christie. I got Mac Burke, who's a six-rounder. But, you know, that's like, yeah, that's like the outlier of outliers. But it's – I don't get it, man. I have no idea what they're doing. The whole – that whole little segment, like you said, that they cut him and then they didn't want Rodney to go with the Chiefs, which seems like he should have gone and probably was going to go to – I just don't get why they're just like insisting on tearing down the strength of their team. I would say tearing down, but they're like really trying to just kneecap it a little bit, which is the whole line. You know, Rodney, we've talked. I, I love him. You know, he's leader of the team, basically holds all all of their protections together. And then Gabe Jackson, I kind of get uh, uh, Tom Cable. Just gonna, he's going to want to run the zone stuff. He's not a scheme fit. Never was. He's probably declining a little bit athletically, but, you know, he's still a solid starting guard. I just don't get this whole like paying the guy that they're going to have back up. Shouldn't they try to have him keep him on the cheap and kind of go like, okay, you know, prove it. And then maybe a two-year deal where it's like cheap and then, you know, get him for cheap after that, where we have a viable starter. I don't know. I don't know. I did like the John Brown signing. I will say that for the Raiders. That's uh, a great signing. That's a great signing. I, I think that's very good. Even though all the resources they spent at receiver, that one was probably one of the better moves they'd done at that position. But what they're doing with the old line just is very, very confusing to me. It's very similar to the conversation we just had about the Steelers. 
Yeah. It's really nice when Denzel Good can be your depth piece and step in for guys that are hurt last year, but now he's a starter. Now you're relying on him. Now he's part of the core plan. And when you start stepping down each year, and that's those are the little tiny things that happen and the little tiny changes, those things eventually they can come back to bite you. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. I mean, apparently they were in on a Dory Jackson, which we'll get to in a second. They're trying to use some of that freed up money to spend on defense. <laughs> it, seems <like> every time, <laughs> it seems like every time that there's a shiny object, it, it, they just can't stay focused. It's, it's just like, like no, now, now we have defense. We got money. We got to throw it out of the defense. That's what we have now. Every yeah. 10 minutes, the focus changes and they cannot concentrate on one specific approach as to how they want to build this. Never in a million years, I think Kenyon Drink was, Drake was going to be a Raider because I was just like, oh, they don't, don't really have a need for it. Does it? They paid him that much, that much money too. That one—that's the shiny toy. It was like that one passed by, and they saw it on the list, and he's like, "Oh, I saw him week two preseason. I loved him." Like, <laughs> nah, not week two preseason. It was the one Alabama game that John Gruden watched. He watched him the national championship game like six years ago, and that same with Josh Jacobs. I, listen, man, we got a lot of Clemson and Alabama players lining that Raiders roster right now, which oh, I don't God. think is a coincidence. All right, I don't either. So let's get to some of those messages that teams have sent us in free agency with the plan that they have put together. And I want to start with the team that is very recently in the news. About 10 minutes before we started recording this, Adam Schefter reported that Adore Jackson signed a three-year, $39 million deal with the Giants. We'll get to that deal. But I want to get to the message that we think the Giants are sending. And in my opinion, watching what the Giants have done in free agency over the last week or so, the message I'm getting from them is, Daniel Jones is out of excuses. The time for us is right now. Is that what you're picking up from the way that the Giants have operated here over the last week? My line for it was, we're not that drunk. And that's the message that they're sending out there. It's like, no, we have a plan. God damn it. Like that's how that's the that's the message I got from them. But yeah, what what you're saying is they're taking away all they're they're doing more or less what the Broncos kind of sort of did with Drew Locke last year and just yep. loading it up with receiver and weapons and all that. The receiver corpse is nice. It's good. I, I like the synergy they have. Tight end mix up. It's nice. So the let's talk about the oh, Galladay sorry. thing. So obviously yeah. they signed Galladay to that deal. It's a four year, $72 million deal with 40 million, more than $40 million guaranteed. It's a monster contract yes. for Kenny Galladay. The type of contract that he apparently wanted when he was entering free agency, as we've seen, the rest of the receiver market be a little bit slower to develop. He got way near the top of the market mm-hmm. money. I mean, this is the sort of money and the sort of contract he probably would have been hoping for if last year had gone well in Detroit, which it did not. So now you're putting him into the mix with those other guys. So now what were you thinking about the group that they have when you drop him into that equation? I, I like it. it. They just have a nice synergy. You know, they have Slayton and Shepard, Sterling Shepard. It makes you close your eyes. It makes sense if they're in 11 personnel where everyone lines up. They took a little, you know, chance on the retreads with John Ross and uh, Dante Pettis, you know, uh, and that that makes that's nice. Ross has a path for a role. He can be the take the top off guy and, you know, and he has pedigree. So let's take a chance there. The tight ends. I actually like how they mix and match them. Kyle Rudolph will bring something, you know, even if he's 60 or 70% of the player he was, he's still not a bad why. And then, you know, Ingram and Tololo. Tololo is actually a pretty good blocker and all that. But like you said, they're taking away what uh, any excuses they have for Daniel Jones. And the problem with all this, I just said all those players, would you say any of them are a star? 
you know, like any of those guys, would you just go, that guy's a, a Are you, star. am I including Galladay in this equation? Uh, yeah, I would, I would include Galladay. Include him. I think Kenny Galladay can be really good. Yeah. I would not have paid him $18 million a year. Yeah. I, but, and I think that they are, they've been against themselves, it feels like, a couple different times over the yes. last week. I mean, the, the <laughs> numbers that were reported with the Bears contract that was offered to Galladay was between 11 and $12 million, and they gave him $18 Which, million dollars a year. Which I, let's not talk about that. I don't want to talk about that because I'm just going to get mad if we talk about that. It, you're going to cut Kyle Fuller and then spend $12 million on a wide receiver? Talk about getting distracted by shiny objects. Oh, my Jesus God. Christ. What, what is the possible plan? I would love someone to articulate that. We're going to tear down this defense. We're going to get marginally better on offense with mediocre to bad quarterback play. And this is the, the path hey. forward. Hey, they're taking away all excuses for Andy Dalton. That's oh, what they're God, playing. I can't even do it. But I went I went back and I, I was watching Galladay today because I think I had a similar thought. How good is he really? And I went back and I watched a bunch of his targets from the first half of last season. And he is a special player on contested catches. Yes. And I think the in our minds, when you think about Kenny Galladay, what do you think? You think nine routes, go balls vertical shots down the sideline he's a ball winner that's actually what he is that yes he is but when i was watching him today the thing that i forget about him is that he'll go get it on in breaking routes over the middle of the field Mm. and i think that is the aspect that i hadn't thought about when it comes to the giants because i went back and i watched a a few games from the end of daniel jones's season i want to talk about this in a second and i'm watching sterling shepherd and Darius Slayton and Evan Ingram run deep dig routes. Now we can eject those into outer space. Yeah. And that's the nice part about bringing in a guy like Galladay is it allows the other guys in that room to fit into roles that are more suited for their skill sets. Mm-hmm. So now you have Slayton as the speed option on the other side. You have Shepard in the slot. You have Galladay as that true, true X that um, I, I never want to see a dagger concept with Darius Slayton running the dig ever again. And now I won't have to. Mm-hmm. And you, like you said, you sprinkle in Ross with that speed. You have Ingram. It's an intriguing set group yeah. of skill position players. But the biggest question about this offense now, outside of the offensive line, which we can get to if you want, it's about Daniel Jones now. And as we sit here, it is March 22nd, 2021 at 6.49 p.m. Eastern time. Do you know how good Daniel Jones is? No. I do not. I, I this past year was very disappointing to me because he his rookie year. I, I mean, for everything, every Giants fan, I'm sure. Like the his rookie year, it was one of those. At first, I was cracking jokes about him, and then I watched him. I was like, okay, I actually see a path to him being a viable starter in this league. I didn't think it. I never star has never been uttered with him, but a good solid starter. I could see it. This past year, no. It, it's just there's so. What concerns you? What concerns you the most? That that internal clock's got to speed up. It just has to. It's he's gonna die <laughs> if he doesn't. It just has to, and it's almost he's he's too coachable. That's what it seems like to me. It's that he. It's the concept. It's blah blah blah. We have a post. We have a dig. We have a check down. He's like, okay, I have to hold on the post now for one second. I have to go to the dig for one second. Now I'm gonna check it out. He doesn't shortcut anything. Like he's almost too smart for his own good. Where he's smart but not a fast processor. So it's one of those guys. I bet you afterwards, every day, every time he makes a mistake, he comes off the field. He knows exactly what happened. Uh, I hung too long on that. That guy was open. I saw the corner come off, but he's not a fast processor where he just like he knows how to like kind of like adjust to the shit that's happening in front of him. So 
I'm not all the way out on him. I just was very, very disappointed and kind of like I thought that shit would speed up a little bit the second year. I thought that was just rookie, him being aggressive. That is one thing I've I've mentioned multiple times. It is better that the quarterback is too aggressive than too passive because it is easier to take the wild horse out of him than to make him get tougher or more aggressive with the ball. And, and it's just uh, that is just how quarterback play is now. You have to be aggressive. You have to be tough. And I think he does have that in him where I do see the positive signs, but it's just like, man, you know, he's just, there's no, that there's no leap of improvement. I think where the mental clock is speeding up and I know he's a smart guy. So it's just, can he now it's getting to the point where it's, is it a, won't he, a, can't he, it's one of those types of things. And that comes down to, we just have to keep watching him. I get Jameis vibes. I still do. When I watch him play, I just, when he's throwing the ball, he looks good. He had, there was a touchdown. He threw to Pettis in the Cowboys games last game of the year. And it was like a beautiful little bender up the seam. It was, and he just let it rip. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Like, it, like, okay. There are some throws that he makes and some ch- decisions he makes, those aggressive choices he makes every once in a while that really make you sit up in your chair. But the, the mistakes are so catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And they just happen too often. The, the, the consistency is just not nearly there. And he's still very young. So maybe that happens. But I don't know if it's going to happen with this current iteration. Because for all of the excitement that I think we're going to have about the group of skill position players, and it is exciting. Like mm-hmm. him with Galladay, that's a recipe for some really cool stuff. I Signing Kenny Galladay to play with a guy who takes too many chances is like buying a 16 year old got kid a Maserati and being like, don't drive it too fast kid. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a, it is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> I mean, the amount of contested catch jump ball YOLO throws we're going to oh. see from Daniel Jones to Kenny Galladay is very fun. I don't know how efficient offense is going to come from it, but it's going to be exciting. But this just feels like one of those teams where we're going to look at the skill position talent and you're dropping Saquon Barkley back into it. And we're going to say, okay, maybe they take the next step. Maybe that leap is here. They've given him so many things to work with. And it feels like the Giants are going to go with all of their young guys along the offensive line. So that's another question mark. I mean, that's just a lot of risk. Also, do we believe in Jason Garrett? Do we believe that this coaching staff is set up to get the most out of this group? And that's my thing. As I sit here and I look at all the big moves they've made and how aggressive they've been, $20 million a year for Leonard Williams, $13 million a year for Jory Jackson, Logan Ryan and Jabil Peppers are recruiting all these guys to the Giants. We're going in. We're doing it big. And it's just like, who are the people in charge? And do we trust them to create efficient offense? I think both you and I are excited about the defense. I think Brett Patrick Graham did a very good job last year. I don't think Adoree Jackson's worth $13 million a year. But I do think they have gotten the most out of the players they've acquired on that side of the ball. Leonard Williams, Blake Martinez. James Bradbury. If you had told me last year the Bradbury contract was a bad idea, I would have nodded yep. furiously. And it yep. looks great. Yep. So I am. I think that has potential. I just think that we're going to get, potentially, get excited about the offense because of the guys catching the ball and not focus enough on those underlying factors that typically make or break offensive success or failure. They're going to have a couple games that they look fantastic where it's going to be like whoo that man that like look at that explosive offense it's coming together and like you said uh, it's going to be there's going to be the inconsistencies with jones but the offensive line too because like my note on them like thomas did come on the left tackle did come on in the second half of the year when they made the coaching switch it looks like he settled in after the bye week because at first i was like 
oh boy, they, that was the first tackle taken, and he might be the worst one of the bunch. But he ended up being, he's going to, I think he's going to be a good player. They lost Zeitler. I think they're just a guy short up front, like you were just mentioning, in a different way how I'm saying it. It's just that that's a lot of question marks for with a quarterback that has a, a tendency to lose the ball a lot, hold on to the ball too long. He's going to take unnecessary shots, like we already talked about. But now you're combining it with a, maybe a little worse offensive line. Like you said, Jason Garrett, is Jason Garrett going to be creative with these guys now? Or are they going to just be stagnant standing there? You know, it's like if this was a, some modern coach, and I was like, okay, and I could trust it. Daniel Jones is almost in a funny way is that he's so smart. You almost want to like make it easier for him to let him just go one, two, three real quick as opposed to going like he, he's kind of tricky smart. Like I'm just saying, I already say he's more of a not really good fast processor, but more of a long processor. It's just like they paid a lot of money for a lot of question marks. <laughs> yes. I, they, I, I just tweeted this before we started. They spent a small fortune on players, and I have no idea how good or bad the team is. I have yeah. absolutely no idea. And I'm excited either. to watch the defense again. I yep. think that that has the potential to be something. But what is going on on offense, I think, is just a huge and mystery. It certainly could work out. Maybe yeah. he takes a step. Maybe some of those mistakes get eliminated and he matures a little bit. And those flashes that we see become more consistent. Yes. The ratio of good and bad flips, potentially. But that's still yet to be determined. That is still mm-hmm. a mystery in my mind. It is we don't know and we will not know until the games actually start getting played. I do want to keep watching James Bradbury this year, though. Like it's unbelievable. Such a big contract signing playing in New York could still somehow be underrated. <laughs> like the most, because I thought he was. Good. I thought he was a low end number one, high high best number two you could have. That's what and I was like. Okay, you overpay for a good solid number one, and he's like top tier number one. Like I, a number one corner. I mean, like he I, is. I think he is the threshold for good number one corner. If 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 that were a bar. Like if you're like, is he better? If you were looking at another corner, you go, is he better than James Bradbury or is he worse? <laughs> That's the bar. And it's fun. That contract, I mean, I'll readily admit that corner evaluation is certainly not a strong suit of mine. It's hard. But that that contract is one of those where when cornerback deals get handed out in free agency, outside of like a deal for like Ronald Darby at $10 million yeah. a year, which we're about to get to, that to me is not typically smart when you've seen how many games he's missed and how many he's bounced around and everything else. But when a team hands William Jackson a monster deal and you yeah. look at the physical or Shaq Griffin even, those I'm just like, I'm going to reserve judgment. I, yeah. We will see what happens with those because I can understand that process at least. Yes. Even it's a if premium, premium position. If you're going to yes. spend the money, spend it on a premium position. That's fine. And especially if the guys up- with traits like those two have. So Correct. I completely understand that. Oh, with yep. Bradbury, when you're sitting there thinking, all right, he's played in this sort of zone heavy system for most of his career. We want more out of him. What can he, we, he look like when we demand more of him? I think Griffin may be in a similar situation with Jackson. Yeah. With those, I like to slow play those a little bit because I want to see it before I make any just kind of strong throated determinations. All right. Our next lesson here, George Payton in Denver, the new Broncos GM, believes that the Broncos are closer than most of us thought. Because I, when I looked at this and he came in, he's year one on the job, and it's an interesting setup, right? You have John Elway there still. Elway steps down, but he's still in the building. So even though it's a new general manager, the regime isn't necessarily different. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, how much are they going to try to continue the plan from last year when they really assembled some pieces. You know, they've gone out in the last couple of years and signed Juwan James, signed Graham Glasgow, and made a couple of moves in the secondary to try to get better there. Are they going to keep spending and keep building this, or are they going to kind of take a step back in order to start a mini rebuild? And 
they have really been aggressive. In the last week or so, they've pumped $63 million guaranteed into their secondary by re-signing Justin Simmons, signing Ronald Darby, and then finally a one-year $9 million deal for Kyle Fuller. And after they signed Fuller to that deal, which everyone could have seen a million miles away. By the way, (laughs) do you think it's a good sign that after you cut a player, it takes a half an hour for him to get signed on the open market? Officially signed, too. Not even like, oh, rumors and everything. Like It was like pen, paper, facts, 30 minutes. 30 minutes. 30 minutes. That's uh, some teams when they look at the players they cut before camp, they always like to see if other teams put in claims for them. Mm-hmm. Or when they claim players, they'll be happy that they put in the only claim. It's just like a small little way to mm-hmm. gauge the quality of your scouting department. When you cut a player and he gets signed in a half an hour, you probably shouldn't have been cutting that player. That's that's <laughs> all I'll say about that. So if you look at it after the fuller signing. I went through this exercise. I was looking at their depth chart just in my mind. I was like, all right, you know, maybe Kareem Jackson comes back. Apparently, they've kept the door open for that. So now your secondary is Ronald Darby, Kyle Fuller, Bryce Callahan in the slot, Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson, potentially. Yeah. They re-signed Shelby Harris, yeah. and they have Bradley Chubb. So in my mind, I was like, oh, who's their other edge guy? <laughs> Where do you it's Von, it's Von, it's Von Miller. <laughs> so now you're looking at that defense, a defense that finished 11th in past defense DVOA last season with that patchwork secondary they were working with without Von Miller. And now things are starting to get, in my opinion, very interesting mm-hmm. over there for them. My expectations for them, especially on that side of the ball, have certainly shifted over the last week or so. And I don't want to read too much into free agency. But when you're talking about Vic Fangio and you're talking about some guys like Fuller who are known quantities, to me, there's no risk involved with dropping Kyle Fuller into this Fangio defense. We've seen him play at an all-pro level doing that, and I think he absolutely can again. So the Broncos are staying aggressive because I think in their minds, they can be successful right now with Mm -hmm. the right breaks on offense and the right breaks at quarterback. Yeah, that's the last part. Well, that's extremely, we're, we're going to get to that in a second. <laughs> extremely pertinent is uh is the right breaks on quarterback. But yeah, I even last year going into the season, I I remember going over the Broncos roster and I was like, you know what, they have a lot of fun players. Like this is so much more than to them than I thought they would ever be. And also they have a ton of good assistant coaches, like uh, of course with the head coach, but then also, you know, Munchak on the offensive line coach. That's pretty nice cuz so no matter who you put or, I mean, we he had a Pro Bowl season out of bowls out of nowhere. That was like that guy I thought was gonna be a bust. Now he's a pro bowler at left tackle. But it's like, okay, so we have great offensive line coaching. It looks like offensive play calling is fine. They got put also if we're talking about uh, uh guys coming back, Cortland Sutton coming back at the receiver po- receiver yep. position. Jawan so James a, potentially at right tackle. Jawan James just it's just like okay, that is a really good roster. That's a lot of players, not just like with the Giants where it's like, oh, that guy's fun, that guy's nice. These are like good, good players and fair contracts for some of them drew lock i mean that that it all comes down to drew lock I, it really does the last season it did and i think this season it does did does and i really just didn't see anything last year that encourages me and that's what's scary is that they are setting themselves up for this almost all-in year with the wild horse back there no pun intended with the broncos but it's like that's what they have back there and he's going to lock in on his receiver he's going to do he's going to throw a ball in harm's way I think they're kind of saying like, okay, we know that. 
but just make it so it's like we can just play as safe as possible with him, keep us in the games, and maybe he makes a couple wild plays. That's what's just scary for me is always that Drew Locke is going to be behind center for him because the rest of the roster, they're 21 other starters for, for both sides of the ball. I really like what they're doing. I mean, this DB core is like you – you mentioned a couple of times that's gonna be a lot of fun up front's gonna be a lot of fun they're short up at the two most important spots and they have two bonafide edge rushers it's like there's a lot of good things that are going on and you know you know there's another guy that came on sorry is noah fant by the way is like really yep. he is like gonna i think this year three is gonna be really fun with him but again it's just and judy in year two potentially judy all in year of those two. kinds of things it's just yep you can see it you can, you can absolutely see it. see it. Yes. The one set, their one member of their coaching staff, I think this is kind of interesting. I'm sure they'll be fine. Ronaldo Hill is somebody that people loved. Yep. And he was their yep. DB's coach for the last two years. He's now the defensive coordinator with the Chargers, who they're very excited about him. But I just think they still have had Donatel there, I believe, as their defensive coordinator. Fangio's there. Those guys know the system. That group is going to be great no matter who's coaching them. You can see it. So now, here's my question, okay? The Broncos are picking ninth. How much do you give up to potentially go to six if you think that's where you need to go to get the fourth quarterback? Is this the time, if you're Denver, to make that sort of play? I think so, because they're not trading from 22 or 27. They're trading from nine to maybe, like you said, six or five or four, you know, I Thing just who knows who knows who knows how this well, is going to break out. It's getting in there now, yeah, right? It because is, it is. we talked about this with Atlanta. If if this is a sign with the Ryan restructure that maybe yep. they're not dead set on taking that quarterback at four, then things get really interesting because yep. it, it they have to make sure if they really want one of these guys if they think this is our time, they have to worry about Carolina at eight, and I think potentially they might have to worry about Detroit at seven. Yep. I, I mean, there is no telling. If the, if the Lions love one of these guys, I don't think there is anything stopping them from drafting one of those guys. So it's going to be fascinating I know. to see how those teams jockey for those spots and how much they think they need to move and how who they need to jump and just the intel going back and forth. Because if you're Denver, I think your roster is strong enough, absolutely clears that bar of, we need to give away a future second or this and oh, that yeah. if we really love one of these guys. They have crossed that threshold to me where it is worth making a splashy move if they think one of their guys is there. I do too. I, I think they are more positioned than countless other teams that think they're close. Like totally. I truly do think they are. And yeah. I, I mean, that is just such a viable spot. It's what we wanted Atlanta to do, but they, <laughs> who knows what they're going to do now. But it's like they really are in that kind of – they can get they can get they can get really interesting here, and it's gonna on be cool. paper uh, they could absolutely be the best defense in the NFL this season. If they were, oh, if yeah. I told you they were number one in every major category, that would not be surprising to you. You'd be like, oh yeah, nope. that makes total sense. Again, they were eleventh last year. Look at the types of guys they were having to put in the secondary. I mean, it was yeah. not a well constructed group, and they were equally hurt. I, there is absolutely a world where they are one of the one or two best defenses in the league. And when it that when that happens, when that lightning in a bottle is possible, you don't need much on offense. If you're a good yep. offense, you can be a playoff team in a hurry. And that's why I just think this might be the time for them to get a little bit aggressive if they want to.
Yeah, and honestly, I think they should. I, I've 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 seen enough Drew Locke that I think they should. Either I know way, you hate him. You're the wrong person to have this conversation. I know, with. <laughs> I know, because I'm like, hell yeah, trade up, get send it all, send it all, get rid of them. But yeah, I but that's what's going to hold him back. I, I love this roster. I really do. I, I've I've it's just that it's just what's scary. It's the most important position is their biggest question mark. So that's not a lot of fun. But yeah, I, that is so interesting. To, uh, uh, drafts gonna be awesome because there's just so much, so many dominoes that are left to fall in these next couple of weeks. Do you think that Peyton, it being his first year there, do you think that influences how splashy he wants to be with that move? It hasn't yet, because some guys don't want to do that right away. Mm-hmm. Your first few months on the job, do you want to make the move that could make or break your tenure with a team? That doesn't happen all the time, but it doesn't seem like he's been slow to make these moves and to make a push. And This would just be another step in that, obviously, but... I, I think and, that's something to consider is where he's at in his time with the team. And also what you said at the beginning, you're like, oh, Elway's still there, but he's not. But so how much does say does he have still? So that's something because that could be all press talk. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's kicked upstairs. He's not. He has no football responsibilities. And there he is in the draft room. I'm sure we'll see him in the draft room still. So it's like that's his guy. So does he still have the ear of everybody else to like, no, no, that's our quarterback. We're not moving or anything. So that's something else that we have to take into account. All right, let's get to our next message that we've gotten from a team over the last week or so. This one comes from a team that hasn't done much spending. And that is that the Colts are not going to be sped up. Market forces be damned. So they have, if you look at over the cap right now, they have $35 million in cap space. That number isn't totally real that you have to pay your rookie class and you know in-season moves and everything else they're a team that doesn't typically spend over the cap in the sense of a lot of signing bonus money and everything else so that's probably closer to 25 million and they're not a team that likes to hand out money in free agency but they people thought they were going to be a spender coming into this offseason so far they have handed out three contracts xavier rhodes one year six and a half million Marlon Mack, one year, two million. Isaac Rochelle, who they like, who was a guy that had did, was not tendered by the Chargers. They gave him a one year, two point five million dollar deal. That is Love the it. splashiest outside move that the Colts have made so far. Are you at all surprised that with the amount of cap space they had coming into this offseason, and I guess how quote unquote close we thought this roster is, that the Colts have not been more aggressive in the market? I'm yeah they're sitting on their money like smog you know (laughs) that's what they're doing that's what Chris Bauer does he just sits on his gold coins but they I'm surprised and not surprised I thought okay they're pining okay they're lining everything up okay here's our I would say all-in move but here we're gonna make a big little push here I thought maybe this was the time but I guess you know Chris Bauer and the Colts just thought it wasn't so I'm not surprised in that sense that they still show patience so I'm surprised that I thought this was the window not surprised that they still were patient with everything you know what reminds me a lot of is uh the Celtics a few years ago when Ainge was just accumulating pick and 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 asset after asset and he had all these super role players kind of going and they were kind of like setting up to like trade for stars you know like okay we'll trade for stars we'll sign for stars hasn't really worked out for him but that kind of is what I feel like they're in they have like even on offense, they have all these kind of super role players. They're great. I really like a lot of them at Naeem Hines. So I mean, I'm gonna change my name to Naeem. But it's they don't have that true one A, you know, that true guy. 
And I think that's something that they have been looking are going to be looking for maybe in this draft, you know, maybe down the road. Maybe they have somebody on their uh, on their roster right now that they like at the receiver or tight end position. But that's what it kind of reminds me a lot. They're kind of like setting themselves up over and over with constantly making these smart moves to set themselves up for the big move. I thought it was going to happen this offseason. Kind of did with the Wentz stuff, but not really because that's the move. But it wasn't as it wasn't as gigantic, I think, as everyone was expecting. It's more like, hey, that was our big move, but that was that was it. That was it. That was our big little lump that we're doing this offseason. Well, let's go back through the other moves. Let's go through yep. the other big splash moves they've made in the last couple of years. Okay. Last year, Rivers, yep. who intimately knows Frank Reich. That is not yep. there's no risk in, involved with that signing. It's the circumstances are such that a quarterback like Philip Rivers doesn't often hit free agency. That's not really a free agent signing. The Buckner deal is a trade. They that is the sort of player that does not hit the market. And correct. Look at the guys getting traded for two first round draft picks over the last five years. They got Buckner for half that. That's a move you. That's a move you make a hundred times out of a hundred. I look back at that trade always. I'm like, what else was attached to it? Nope, just just the first. It's like what? Not even like a, like with with that one first, you're even happy to give them the twenty million dollar a year deal. Yeah. So you have a team that historically does not believe that you find impact players in free agency. This is a team that signs Danico Autry for $6 million a year and then lets him walk for eight three years later. This is a team that signs Justin Houston after being released so it doesn't affect their comp, affect their comp pick formula. They think that Rochelle is the type of guy that can come in and approximate what Autry has given them over the last couple of years. And if you look at their development of interior and like hybrid defensive lineman over the last three or four years they're fighting grover stewart under rocks i mean they have done a very good job of developing players at those spots and i remember last year i was having a conversation with someone there about their secondary and i was like man you guys are a little thin at safety do you feel like you needed to add add anybody and this is in the spring and they're like no i think i think we're gonna be okay and then Julian Blackman and Curry Wills end up coming and just playing so well and i'm like well i'm a moron i should and they they and and I, and I this is it's important to kind of talk through because it is we 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 crush the teams that get distracted and they they're not going to get distracted Ever. maybe to their own detriment but they are not going to get distracted they have a plan so the idea of we're not going to spend in free agency even if we have the money is part of it the other part of it is they have two guys two and a half guys that are going to set market-setting extensions in the next calendar year. Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard, and Braden Smith are all going to get contracts. Look at a team like the Bears, who let Leonard Floyd go, cut Leonard Floyd, and then use the money that Leonard Floyd was going to make to sign another player from the market at his position. That's not something that's going to happen with the Colts. They are going to reward their guys, and they are going to build that way. And that's always how they've done it, and they're not going to get pushed off that spot. And you look at positions like receiver, I think they would rather try to re-sign T.Y. Hilton on a reasonable deal, bet on a guy like Desmond Patton, who they drafted in the sixth round last year, who was a developmental guy with really nice 6'4 frame, 225, ran a 4'4'8, is athletically very, very similar to Zach Pascal. They actually have the number one physical comp over the last 20 years on mock draftable, the Colts are seeing something in these receivers. Type. I don't I don't know what it is, but they're seeing something. And that's how they want to build. They know they need a left tackle and an edge rusher. They know that. Yep. But they are not going to overspend for one because in their minds, the guys available in free agency aren't worth the premium you're going to have to pay to go get those guys. And they have a plan. 
They are not going to get distracted from that plan in the way that other teams have. And it certainly helps that they have gotten more value out of the draft since Ballard has gotten there than essentially any other team in the NFL over that stretch. So I'm sure as a Colts fan, it's frustrating. You're sitting here being like, this is the time we're close. We need to make these moves. And it's just not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, no. they Maybe they go signed a guy that's the next Justin Houston for them at edge. Man, they, maybe they, that's what they're going to do, though. And I just think that Chris Ballard has tried to tell us who he is over and over and over again. And always. it's just time that we listened. <laughs> yeah, he's never they're never desperate. They're just always going to give themselves ability to pivot. And that's what's so funny is I I think always really with everything in sports is just the ability to pivot and be able to, to transition. It's like, yes, this is our best option, but can we do a different option? And he's always going to have it. And he's always done it the last few years. And that's what's just hilarious. It's like they, they managed to acquire Rivers and then Wentz. And they still have ton of cap room, ton of you know, ton of picks and everything. There, other teams like like your Bears are struggling to get Foles and Dalton. They're trading third rounders. They're signing them to big. And it's just like, and then meanwhile, over to, off to the side, it's like, okay, we got these other quarterbacks. Like this is what the Colts are actually doing something that's proper. He's just gonna do what he's gonna do. That's what Bauer does. That's what the Colt, Colts regime is gonna do. They're just gonna keep going about it. If they have an opportunity, like they did last year with the Buckner trade, I don't think last year in January Bauer was thinking that DeForest Buckner would be available for a first rounder. You know, you don't know how that goes. And then two months later, he's trained for him. I think it's just that he gives himself ability because he always has assets, the ability to do what he does want to do without overdoing, overspending or overpaying for something. And that's just good management. It just really is. He's asset managing and he's doing a really good job of it. And that's it. They're just going to preach patience and they're just going to build this, build this whole team, this whole franchise to be just like always good and competitive and then just have these abilities to pivot and go all in. And maybe not even do that. Maybe it doesn't ever do that, but the ability to compete when they want to compete, when they feel like that window is right. And they're doing a good job. I also think that the Wentz trade and the picks they gave up in it has made them more conscious of the draft capital they have at their disposal. And those comp picks that they could potentially get for some of the guys that have left like Autry, those matter more now because they've given up draft capital to go get Wentz. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them trade back in this draft to try to accumulate more picks. It's not not an accident that Rochelle, because he wasn't tendered, doesn't count to the comp pick formula. It's just those little tiny things that teams trying to gain edges in the draft are consistently thinking about. And this is absolutely one of those teams. I think one of the other messages that we've gotten sent is that the Packers believe in their formula. The Packers, so the Colts have spent a couple, hand out like one yeah. or two small deals in free agency, at least one couple, outside deal. A couple of bus passes. They gave out a couple the bus Packers passes. The Packers have spent zero dollars so far on outside free agents over the past week. They've done some little tiny things. They've restructured Darius Smith's contract to fit Aaron Jones in. Mike Silver said today on NFL Network that the team is talking to Aaron Rodgers about a potential restructure. We saw they converted Bakhtiari's bonus. So they're open to kind of creating some wiggle room for themselves, but they have not jumped headfirst into the market. So if you're looking at what they've done so far, especially on offense, when you think about letting Lindsley go, signing Jones to that extension, what do you think about the path they're following as it relates to their offense right now? I think they're just running everything back from last year, and then they're going, hey, we'll figure it out next spring. <laughs> I think that's just literally what they did. They said, hey, we scored 500 points. We're on fire. I think we got a groove right now. Let's just not rack, rattle any cages. 
yeah, we overpaid for Aaron Jones, but he is he really is a great player. It's just hilarious that they basically punted on last year's draft, still made the final four, and then they're gonna they're gonna run it back basically with the same group and they might score five hundred points again. I'm fine with it. Uh it's just that they're more or less all in this year. Cause I mean, that's kind of what the window is, right? Like that's what kind of just seems like, but you would, I don't know. It's funny that the Packers also reverted right back. They splurged the one off season for the Smith boys, for the Smith brothers. And then also a couple of years later, they're like, okay, we're back to not signing any free agents. Like, <laughs> like, you know, like pre Those might've been their days. moves. I mean, they're it. just not, I mean, that's, they were willing to do that because they needed an injection of talent and yep. those contracts have been spent and those contracts aren't cheap. You know, Preston yep. Smith, I think got a pay cut to stay, but Zedarius Smith is still a really expensive player. Aaron Rodgers isn't getting any cheaper. They've spent a lot of money on these guys. Bakhtiari's extension. They're going to have to extend Devontae Adams here in a second. I mean, they are locked into this version of the roster to a certain extent without some significant cap gymnastics. So I don't think we should be surprised that there haven't been these moves. The, mm-hmm. the overall plan and formula on offense intrigues me because they've essentially made a bet of we're going to let our center walk and re-sign the running back, and we have faith in our ability to piece the line together. I don't think that's unreasonable when you consider the success they've had in developing those players over time. And I know there are different coaching staffs and everything else, but I mean, Gutkunst has been there since 1998. I mean, he's been there for a long, long time. He's watched the Josh Sittens and TJ Langs get drafted in the fourth round. He's watched Corey Lindsley get drafted in the fifth round. They have... Elton Jenkins that they could potentially move to center. They drafted Runyon in the sixth round last year. I think they like him. Maybe they slot him in at one of the guard spots. They try to find a tackle somewhere. They're fine piecing this together. They have never stretched themselves when it comes to finding and developing offensive linemen on that team, and it's typically worked out pretty well for them. So they clearly have some faith in their ability to shift some stuff around, promote from within, and drop Jones back into that equation because of what he gives them in a multifaceted way. It's really easy to say, we have drafted A.J. Dillon in the second round. How could we possibly pay Aaron Jones? They do two totally different things. Yeah, They're very different players. And I, you could absolutely argue against how smart it is to hand Aaron Jones that contract. But I think it's you can't argue that having Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon makes you a more well-rounded backfield. I mean, it's they're very, very different players. So we'll see what happens. But they're not done from potentially trying to sign a bargain offensive tackle, from trying to yeah. get another corner. Like a Richard Sherman could absolutely end up on this team. A K1 short could absolutely end up on this team to try to give them some juice inside. I mean, those are the types of signings that may happen here. Just because they weren't super active in the first week of free agency doesn't mean we're not going to see some new guys with new skill sets in Green Bay. I also still think they need a receiver with a tiny bit of a different feel to him. They need one guy that has a slightly different flavor on that offense because one... One play-in-space change-of-direction guy could help what they do. I know they scored 500 points, but that is the one thing on offense where I was like, can't we get one guy who can create separation in the middle of the field? Just one guy that's not Devontae Adams? That's all I ask. They want every throw to be the point zero zero one percent accuracy throw. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's what they want. They want nothing but trick shots. That's what they want. They're like, okay, Devontae Adams, you get the easy ones there. Okay, trick shots. Everybody else, we're going to make it as hard as possible. One thing that's interesting with Aaron Jones, he did improve a little bit, is he, he's not very good in protection. And so I just thought of like, like Lindsey gone, and then now he's he's back there if they do want to make – I mean, you're paying a lot of money 
uh, if you're going to keep him off third down. That's something that's just very interesting. I always find curious to watch is sometimes these stud running backs are just so bad protection that it's just like, oh, got to keep him off the field unless he's running a route. It just makes sense. I mean, they ran it back with the, this team just makes, I mean, that offense was so much fun. And I mean, they got, they got little mini leaps from guys like Robert Tanyan and, and you know, guys like that. So it's like, okay, do those guys ascend again? Like, you know, another little leap out of that. They needed to spend something. I had to shore up the line a little bit, you know, just to, you know, just to generate a little bit of talent if they're not going to sign anybody. Um, but no, that's I, the question I now because now is Billy yeah. Turner your right tackle? You know, Rick Wagner was hitting free agency. It's just yep. let, like we talked about with other teams, you just start to slowly chip away at the depth, and you have more and more question marks at that question spot. Marks. And I think that applies right. to their offensive line. Yep, I, I completely agree. All right, let's get to one more here. Something that we talked about a lot last week, but I wanted to ask you about because this is a team we've discussed often, but not in this free agent context. I think the last message that we got is that the hourglass has been flipped on Cliff Kingsbury's time in Arizona. With the moves that they made, it feels like the sand is starting to fall here. Talk about the A.J. Green signing, trading for Rodney Hudson, going to get J.J. Watt. As you're looking at their plan this offseason, what does it tell you? What are you reading into the moves that they have made? They're plant their foot and getting north just like a running back like that's what they're doing they're they plant their foot and they're getting north that i mean they saw the hole and they're trying to hit it not exactly how i thought they were going to do it i thought this was going to be kind of like a slow build team you know okay deandre hopkins was just obviously you have to get that if, you, if that's the deal you can make to get deandre hopkins but i thought more it was going to be an accumulation of picks and maybe a couple other signings not so much a getting J.J. Watt, Rodney Hudson. It's like, whoa, okay. But honestly, Rodney Hudson is going to be do more. And I, I, I know I'm just going to be always vouching for this guy, but he is going to do more for that offense than any offensive tackle, any skill guy, or any cute passing concept that Cliff steals for the week. Like any one of those, like Rodney Hudson is going to do more for that offense because he will short. Like there's so many times I watch that. That's how, always been my negative. It's like the protection doesn't match up to what they're trying to do down the field because – they have no rules on their stuff because they stole it. Um, not only, but Ronnie will be able to like, because it's not that complicated, is that he has a personality a little bit too to kind of maybe speak up as as the center and go like, hey, are we sure we're going to point out that way? Like, I don't like that. Or really, we're going to slide that? No, let's, let's try and man it up. You know, just I, he has that kind of leadership personality and that intelligence and that just aggressive personality as a person that I think he's not going to put up with any bullshit. And I think that's going to help them out so much just to shore up, maybe trim some fat with their offense. And that's rare from a player. Quarterback, yeah, that happens. From a center, Rodney Hudson has that clout. AJ Green, whatever. Uh, I mean, that whatever. It's like, it's whatever. I, I don't you know. You assume I'm re- that that means we get more Christian Kirk in the slot in, in, those, in some of those three receiver sets. I, yeah. I just... I don't know how it looks. When you talk about the Giants and you can close your eyes and picture it in your mind, yeah. it's harder for me to do that with this collection of receivers in Arizona. It's easier with that. If Hopkins wasn't there, it makes so much more sense because they're going to have the same type of role on the outside. They'll be left and right side, I'm guessing. It's just weird to me for an offense that maybe it was because of protection or maybe just what Cliff does that throws so much, gets the ball out so much, so many package plays, you know, like bubbles and, and RPOs and stuff of that sort, that they're kind of getting another vertical intermediate receiver you know, another ball winner. And that just doesn't match to what they have done this last two years. I don't know if that was because of necessity or because of just what they do at the NFL level. So that's what kind of was very curious to me with that fit. Whatever, let's go for it. <laughs> I do I do really like Chase Edmonds. So him getting some more shine this year, that's going to be something interesting to watch. 
But I don't know. It's like they're all in in a weird way in a team that didn't have to put themselves all in. Now they are. Like, I mean, really, if they don't make the playoffs this year, he's got to be gone. So I think, but the Rodney Hudson sign or trade is going to be awesome for them. That's better than anything they could have done. Really, I, I, I truly mean that. JG Watt, Marcus Golden, Chandler Jones could be fun on defense. They got there. We talked about this surprisingly better on defense than you would think. Uh, when you watch this team well, and that's but it's funny because when you watch what they did last year one of the reasons for that is because of that kind of nebulous amoeba looks that they would do on third down and all the weird pass rushing especially packages yep. that they had and you know a lot of aggressive man coverage and piecing together a pass rush and now it's like we have jj watch handler jones and marcus golden and that's really it on defense that's it because they the corners weren't good last year I mean, Patrick Peterson and Drake Kirkpatrick are first-round picks and everything else, and Patrick Peterson's a legend, but they didn't get great cornerback play. They just somehow managed to piece this together. Now, they have so much more in the front, and how does that translate to what the defense looks like on the back end? It's just They've flipped the defense in this weird way, and now I just don't know what it's going to look like, even though I still think it can be pretty good. So it almost feels like this is a team that was on the verge of making the playoffs last year, and they've remade themselves mm-hmm. in like the course of an offseason in a really aggressive way. And I just think, like we've talked about with other guys, they're stripping away excuses here. If this doesn't work, if they look out of sync in the structure of the offense and what they do protection-wise, all of that stuff, now there's no reason for it. You have yep. eliminated any sort of ways to explain away the issues they might have offensively. If they don't have it this year, they just ain't got it. And I think that's as simple as it gets. That is as simple as it gets. Yeah, they they forced their hand. It's we said, hey, Daniel Jones doesn't have any more options or excuses. Drew Locke doesn't have any more excuses. Yeah, Cliff doesn't have any more excuses. That that offense doesn't. They they really have what they need to be a good offense, a, a consistently good offense. We've seen the flashes. Can they do it for now? Seventeen games. You know it, that's so weird to say. By the way, seventeen says sixteen. I'm gonna I'm gonna say nine and seven and seven and nine for, for the I'm rest. I'm so of proud time. of myself right there for saying seventeen. But they they're stripping away excuses, just like you said. It's just a weird way to do it, and that's kind of how the Cardinals have been the last few years. They haven't done anything kind of normal, and uh, they're doing it again in 2021. All right, one more that I wanted to get to very briefly. We spent 30 seconds on this. The Chargers are not going to let Justin Herbert get knocked around this year. That is the love message it. they have sent us. I we, we talked about the Corey Lindsay signing, the Matt Filer signing. Love both of those. This weekend, they signed Ode Abushi to a one-year, $1.75 million deal. That's a name probably no one knows. He played both guard spots intermittently for the Lions last year. He's 29 years old. A guy that Brandon Thorne and I both really like. Has an attitude about him. And I think Filer is not necessarily the most physical presence. Neither is Corey. Bringing an ass kicker into that equation up front that really likes to knock guys around. You have Bulaga there. I, they'll probably try to go get a left tackle in the draft, is my assumption. If they draft one at 13, it's a plug and play guy. You have Eckler, you have Keenan Allen. They signed Jared Cook as a cheap Hunter Henry replacement. Mike Williams is back. I am going to be too excited about the Chargers. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I when they signed Lindsley and Filer, I was just like, "Oh, the Robert May scouting notebook." (laughs) That's what they did. But I love it. I mean, more than anything to help a QB, it's not a receiver. It's not okay. That's what everyone thinks. It's like we gotta give him a receiver. Get him a fucking center, 
and that will help out a quarterback more than anything. This is the center, especially podcast. a young quarterback, especially, especially a young quarterback. young quarterback, a year or two young quarterback that never did in college. I know for a fact he didn't, and they took a lot off his plate mentally last year. Not that he's dumb or anything, but just to make it easy as a rookie. And now, because now you're letting Herbert do what he can put his mind, use some mental processing to where he needs to. Where it's like, hey, I got this concept, gotta get the ball out. Da, 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 da. Now he doesn't have to spend any mental energy on protections or any of that. He can, if, depending on how they do it, but now he doesn't have to. He doesn't need to. He can if they get comfortable with that down the road. And I think that is just huge. And especially you get that comfort level. You get a guy like Lindsay who's done it all, who's been in big games. That's gonna really help having in the huddle. That's where that's one of those off field things or my in between the snaps kind of things that really add up. It's like, it's like the box score for a basketball player. Those kind of in between things that aren't just points that add up. That's what a center and really just offensive lineman can do. So I think I love that signing, even if it is a slight overpaid, that's what you have to do for those types of guys. Love it. Sure up. We, I, I never want to see another Andrew Luck situation again, where guys to retire because of injuries, because he got beat up. So I like it. I, I, I really like what the chargers are trying to do. And, yeah, I can really see myself keep talking myself into, into them every single month that it's going to be like, man, I really like this. Obviously, people are excited about the defense and what Staley is going to do with the defense. I can't wait to see what the offense looks like. Yeah. Because so this is... Well, Herbert's fun in at, himself. Herbert's just Herbert's fun by fun himself. In, Herbert's yeah. fun on his own. So they yeah. bring in Joe Lombardi, and who mm-hmm. Staley has known for a long, long time, and it's so funny when you talk to people around the league, and I think one of my favorite things all every offseason is talking to offensive coaches and be like would you watch what who'd you watch why'd you watch it would you learn and all of the projects that teams do Mm -hmm. and every single offensive coach you talk to over the last 10 years it is just a given that you watch the saints oh yeah it is it is understood that at pretty much every single year you go watch the saints and one of the reasons for that is just that it's one of the more creative offenses out there but i it is not an accident in my mind that to me, the best defensive coordinator in the NFL last year hired an offensive coordinator that is fluent in that offense because it's a pain in the ass to deal with because you got to deal with 100,000 formations, a ton of different personnel packages. It It's a deep, deep bag of nonsense. Yeah. And what that looks like filtered through this personnel, I'm very excited to see. And what Staley's imprint is on it because I think he's going to have a voice offensively in the way that a defensive head coach typically wouldn't. Just what this team looks like on the field when you consider the additions they have made and X's and O's wise what they want to be is something I'm very much looking forward to. Yeah, that, that's such a great point with the Saints stuff. I mean, still is. That's one of my the teams I watch every single week. It really doesn't matter what the game is. I at least watch a half on Game Pass. When you watch a lot of kind of like fun or new plays, sometimes for coaches, you're like, okay, that's cool. I know how to draw it up. Like if I I, I can copy it to paper, pen and paper. I don't know how to teach it, maybe. Some you can make guesses. You can go like, oh, okay, uh, I could, okay, you probably read this one to two and you check it down there, single high, you go over here. With, with the Saints, what was always so nice when you watch Saints film, it's all clinic tape. Because Drew Brees is going to throw the ball to the right spot every single time. The offensive line is going to be way coached really well. And the run, comps, run concepts are going to be extremely sound. So like that's why watching the Saints stuff, it's like it's the best teaching stuff. Or it's the best stuff to like kind of you know steal. Because <laughs> you're just like, okay, well, I know how this reads out. I just saw Drew check out that safety. So obviously he's looking at weak side safety. Okay, he probably went one to two here. Okay, cool. But it's also just sound concepts. So might as well get the guy that's been around those sound concepts, probably knows how to teach 
you know, he he we're we're seeing these other younger guys that are backing up Drew Brees. That's becoming that whole little, you know, whatever it is there. Okay, let's take that. It's a quarterback, quarterback finishing school. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was gonna say almost like uh with the Packers in the nineties beyond Favre. Remember, it's just like it was just like a who's who of all the backups. Like, <laughs> is that what the Saints are gonna become over the years? Well, Brees is gone now, so never mind. But that's kind of let's just take that. What's this guy knows sound concepts? Is he we don't know how he's going to be as a play caller, but at least when he installs these plays, they're going to go in how they should. Not I'm copying from somebody else I watched on film across the league who I never talked to. He knows he's been in those teaching, those installs every single day. That's great stuff to have for a young quarterback because now you're going to read these plays and these plays are going to be installed properly. That's pretty exciting stuff. I'm really excited to see what they look like. And I think that they've I made too. smart bets. Free agency yeah. is just about smart bets and about smart process. It's all it is. Do you have a plan and do the parts of your plan align? Is not, part of your plan cutting defensive players in order to pay wide receivers when you don't have a quarterback? If that's the plan, it's not a good one. Yeah, I think it's difficult to judge individual signings and whether they'll work out. But I think it's easy from a bird's eye view to understand how different plans fit together and what teams are trying to tell us with those plans. As teams make moves this part of the year, listen to them. Listen to what they're trying to tell you about how they see themselves. And that's what we tried to figure out a little bit today. All right, guys, that's all we got for today. I'll be back tomorrow with Lindsey Jones doing one more little free agency wrap-up show. Until then, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I would sincerely appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. Our dollar a month promotion is going on right now for the NFL content. There is a ton of amazing stuff. Pretty much every single one of our writers broke down what the depth charts for their individual teams will look like now that free agency has kind of gotten in full swing. I learned a ton just by looking at those today, so please go check that out. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys later. This was The Athletic Football Show.